Hi there, and welcome to Live from the Cyber Institute. In this podcast, we listen in on conversations taking place among ministers, church leaders, and scholars as we engage the issues facing Christians and church leaders today. We hope that this episode is thought-provoking and a blessing to you, because as with everything we do in the Cyber Institute, our mission is to equip church leaders and help churches thrive. After you listen, make sure to follow our podcast so that you get all the latest episodes from your podcast platform of choice. Let's get started. Well, welcome everyone to Live from the Cyber Institute, the podcast out of ACU's Cyber Institute for Church Ministry. My name is David Kneipp, and I'm the Associate Director here in the Cyber Institute, and I am really excited today to sit down uh, with my colleague in ACU's Bible Department, Brad East. Brad, welcome today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Man, we're glad you're here. Uh, Well, before we get into things, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're from, where you've been, how you got to ACU as a professor. Sure. So I I just finished uh, my sixth year teaching here, and if you go back to the beginning, I'm from Austin, Texas. And I actually knew heading into my senior year of high school that I wanted to be a professor of theology to do what I'm doing right now. And so I came to Abilene Christian, did my undergrad in biblical text here, and then from here went straight to Emory in Atlanta, where I did my Master of Divinity uh, for three years there. Then I went to New Haven, Connecticut, where I did my PhD in theology at Yale University. And then um, after six years earning that degree, came back here. And uh, yeah, it's been a delight. I teach I teach theology uh, on the undergrad side, so not the GST. I mostly okay. teach upper level uh, gen ed students, me- meaning I teach our Bible and ministry majors, but mostly our non-majors. Okay. Okay. So uh, you mentioned that you teach theology classes, and sometimes theology is one of those words that has like a little t that just kind of means all the things about God and the church and all of that. But sometimes it has more of the sense of like a specific discipline. It's not church history. It's not biblical studies. Um, and in our movement, sometimes we've had a little bit of a little bit of heartburn, a little bit of uncertainty about theology and what that means and kind of what it's associated with. So um, just for our listeners, how would you describe what it means to you that you teach theology? Like, what do, you, what do your classes look like? What are you doing with your students? Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. I, to my understanding, I think I'm the first um, person uh, with a degree in theology to teach on the undergrad side. Okay. So just institutionally, that's representative of uh, our heritage. So there are a few ways to think about theology, as you said. One is uh, a popular definition is that it's faith-seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, theology is not just intrinsic to Christianity, it's intrinsic to every person uh, who is seeking to follow Christ. Um, The way to think about capital T theology, I suppose, is making that faith-seeking understanding into an entire intellectual enterprise. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, one way I put it to my students is um, the Bible is the supreme authority in all that we believe and in how we live as Christians. Um, Scholars will tell you that what the Bible means for X, Y, or Z requires interpretation, Mm -hmm. right? It can't always just be read off the surface of the text. Well, theology is itself its own, is is its own response to the need for interpretation. So for example, 
Um, think of any issue today. It could be a hot button issue or just a new issue that uh, that's a kind of pressing question. Okay. Think about. Um, I, I, I'll, 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 I will ask my students to open their Bibles, go to the glossary, and to look up embryonic stem cell research, right. <laughs> or nuclear weapons, uh-huh. or cloning, or extraterrestrial life, yeah. or even ones that are closer to home, like same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. or abortion, or fill-in-the-blank, right? Yeah. Those are all pressing moral issues. But you can also take doctrinal issues, like yeah. the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, or... Um, you know, the full humanity and divinity of Christ. These are questions that arise in the life of the church in her mission over the centuries. And you can't simply proof text your way to an answer. It requires a form of reasoning. And theology is the name for that reasoning. It's a way of uh, all Christians, but in particular church leaders and people like me and the academy, um, uh, Facing the world, facing the church, receiving a question or a challenge that is new and precisely in obedience to Christ's commission, seeking to respond in real time, rooted in scripture, but not always able to quote a passage that tells you exactly what we should think or do. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, when, when I'm teaching my church history classes, I mean, obviously, as we trace through different issues that, that have come up, one of the things that I think our students see is that you know, folks have always been wrestling with scripture, trying to answer the questions that come up. But it's also true, as you said, that not everything has just a natural spot in the glossary or the concordance. And so one of the things I love in church history is that we, we, we gain these companions along the way. And so when someone is, is facing an issue, well, it may not be that the church has dealt with that issue before, but we have all sorts of folks in the past that we can look to and say, well, look how this person addressed a changing world. Look how this person uh, dealt with things that were coming up in the medical realm, the moral realm, the political realm. Uh, and, and so they can become kind of companions on the journey, at least it seems to me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and our word for that is tradition. Mm-hmm. As you know, the la- you're the language master, not me. Tradition comes from the Latin for handing on. Mm-hmm. So the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. But in order to do that, we have to hand the gospel on over time. Yeah. And that handing on forms a kind of chain of witnesses. And it would be foolish of us to ignore all the chains in between Mm -hmm. as if it's only my chain and Paul's chain and all the links in between I can discard. Rather, I can learn from from all those witnesses. Uh, They're all smarter than I am, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. They're usually holier than I am. And they've often even answered or at least addressed similar or the same questions as me. One way to, th- what, another way I, I put it to my students is, quoting, uh, uh, riffing on a theologian that I love named Robert Jensen. He says, the whole mission of the church is to say the gospel. Mm. But to say the, go- to say the same gospel that I heard yesterday, to say it again tomorrow in a new context, is necessarily to say something new. Mm. Because maybe I'm saying it in a new language, or to a new person, or to yeah. a person with a different background, mm-hmm. or to a person who raises questions I didn't hear yesterday. And so I have to say something different to say the very same message that yeah. is the good news. And theology is the turn from receiving and hearing yesterday to speaking and sharing tomorrow. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, and that's that's getting toward, I think, something that's going to be really uh, interesting for our listeners. And that, that's how does theology connect with ministry? I mean, you're talking about uh, evangelism here. Uh, 
you mentioned that you teach some of our Bible majors or our Bible majors. Well, that's because we require at least one course in theology. And I, I think that's really good, but it's also true, like we talked about before, you know, in our heritage, we've sometimes been a little bit um, uncertain about that. But as our listeners will know, there are all sorts of things where we come to an issue and, and it's not that we need to move beyond scripture or add to it, but we, we need some resources alongside scripture, not just as students, but as ministers. Um, you know, why do you feel like theology is one of the things that we need alongside scripture for ministers? Why, why is it so important for people in ministry and church leadership? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, one way to come at it, for especially for our uh, listeners, our, our tradition, our heritage, values, preaching, and rightly so, well, a, a good preacher doesn't just sit down in a bare room alone with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a wise preacher is already doing theology and thinking theologically by taking the text, wrestling with it, and, and um, bringing out of it a word of good news for the people of God on that particular day in their particular circumstances. That's a, that's theology. They're already theologizing. So then the only question is not whether you're going to do theology, it's how you do it, whether you're going to do it well. Um, and so theology can both be a kind of training in how to do it well, so how to think, how to make those interpretive moves. But also, as you say, it's a, if if a if a wise preacher has the Bible open uh, on the desk, but also surrounded by stacks of commentaries, mm-hmm. say you know on First Corinthians or what have you. Um, well, we don't just need commentaries written in the last ten years. Right. We need commentaries written since the year one hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, much of the tradition consists in actual commentaries uh, by folks like Origen or Saint Augustine or Jerome or others. Um, and so it's it's adding to the cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints, the chain of witnesses that can help the preacher or minister uh, do their work, uh, whether that's in the pulpit or whether that's elsewhere. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I, I really enjoy working on. My, my focus is in early church history, but I love reading early Christian commentaries on Scripture because the church fathers at that time especially, they read the Bible the way people do now. You know, they're, they're reading the text and they're looking for what is it saying to me, to us right now? Uh, what, what connections are there between uh, what this says and, and things that I already believe? Um, and then especially when they read the Old Testament, they're looking for Jesus. And that's exactly how folks do now. And so it's, it's just so uh, edifying, even though sometimes you read things like, well, this is really strange. I mean, they are obviously in in a in a kind of a different world. Yeah, it's it's edifying, and it kind of breaks you out of your own habits. Mm-hmm. To pull the curtain back for listeners, David has a habit about once a month of sending me an email, where he's translating some uh, some ancient text from Greek or Latin, and he finds this amazing passage from a commentary on scripture, and he just has to share it with the person who would appreciate <laughs> it. And it's me, and it's it's, true. it's 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 a it's a Christian pastor toiling away in the pre-modern world and they really believe that when they're reading Leviticus or they're reading Chronicles or the Proverbs or Psalms that they are finding Jesus in what they're reading because Jesus told them to find him there. The law and the prophets speak of me, he says. If you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. And 
we need our modern commentaries for lots of reasons. Absolutely. Careful attention to the text, especially historical, cultural, linguistic stuff. But man, the the pre-modern inheritance, uh, patristic, medieval, reformation, they are a model for wise, pious, devotional, Christ-centered reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just love it. It's great. Well, And so much more is available now in translation. I mean, even just compared <clears throat> to 20 years ago, there's so much that people can read. Uh, okay, so one of the areas that you've been working a lot on lately uh, has to do with technology. Um, you've taught a couple of different classes, one that I think was for a broad audience called God in the Digital Age, and then you had another one that you did just uh, for our majors. Um, tell us about kind of how you got interested in thinking about theology and technology and, and what you've been working with with our students in that way. Yeah, I kind of wish I had an origin story on this. I've always been interested in technology as a side hobby, not in the way that like I've been tinkering with computers, more mm-hmm. like I've been thinking about how to destroy them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've always been worried and anxious about the role of technology, particularly the internet and digital technology in our lives. I was a late adopter to smartphones. I, I may still get rid of mine one day, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, and I, so I like to read on the side. If I'm not reading for work or reading a novel, I'm reading a book about digital technology. And uh, so I've taught these different iterations of a class, sometimes, as you say, for non-majors, sometimes for majors. And the question is, what does it mean for Christians, or in this case, for church leaders, to be wise in their use of technology. Mm -hmm. And that use both in their own personal lives, in their household, in the lives of their household, their families, their children, and the lives of their churches. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that worries me most, well, there's so many things, let me count the ways, but the, the, the one that comes to mind is, how we can be so uncritical and even unthinking in our adoption of technology, mm-hmm. somehow blind to the way that it forms and shapes us, misforms and misshapes our habits, our habits of attention. Well, what do you need those for? You need them for prayer. Yeah. You need them for attending to other people. You need them for how can you be a reader of God's word, much less a reader of the church's tradition, if you can't sit still for five minutes without checking your phone? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's doing great harm to our young people. I see it in the classroom. And I'll say, none of my students disagree with me. It's yeah. not like I've got a bunch of digital natives who are mad at me for sounding the alarm. They all agree and they just want help. Yeah, because uh, they've seen it. They've seen it in they've their own lives. Or and those of their friends. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's where it's rooted in. Okay. And that's the kind of that's the question uh, that I try to use to frame the entire semester. Yeah. Well, and so I've got adolescents at home. Uh, I have a background in youth ministry, so I've been thinking about technology. But I, I would say not in probably in deep ways. You know, for a long time the conversations have been, which movies do we watch? You know, being careful about you know the kind of media that you consume, and and, and I think that's important. But I, I suspect that you have some deeper things in mind and you've already been kind of touching on that um you know again you you developed one of these classes for our majors why do you feel like for them and for our listeners why is it so important not just for christians but for people who are actively in ministry whether it's for their own life or for being able to lead god's people yeah i have many things to say i'll try to limit it to two or three one uh i will say is i think churches are largely part of the problem Hmm. right now they are only um, they're simply presupposing um, 
what the culture is giving our families and our children. And not only are they not a counter voice, um, they basically, I, in my view, it's, it's a kind of um, a co- an accommodation most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just the way it is. It's the status quo. Yeah. And I see no reason why the church should do that. I think, on the, on the contrary, the church should be a leader in modeling a way of life not dominated by screens, mm-hmm. uh, by social media, by the internet. So that's one thing. That's why I modified the class to be a small kind of seminar. We met in my home every other week with just mm-hmm. about eight a little more than half a dozen students thinking about ministry and church leadership. Um, The second thing is, as I already said, I do not think that you can be a deep reader of anything. In fact, you can't be a reader at all if your time and attention have been robbed Mm -hmm. by um, these little devices in our hands and in our, and in our homes. Um, And therefore a church leader, a pastor, preacher, minister, cannot be a reliable interpreter of God's word if he or she um, is not a reader. Mm-hmm. Got to be a reader in the first place. So I, I, in a sense, I'm tr- I want to train my students and my majors, future ministers, simply to be readers in the first place. Yeah. And then, right. And then third, I'd say, um, I, I want our ministers to be reflective and critical. I want them to be skeptical, right? Mm-hmm. Who stands to gain by eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds, not to mention every single church leader having a phone in their pocket or even a phone out when you stand up to read from God's word mm-hmm. uh, in the assembly, who stands to gain? Well, truly, uh, corporations, yeah. right? Like, We're who doing the product placement <laughs> we are from getting, the pulpit. That's exactly right. I, I mean, I mean, you can think that it is a good use of technology, but that's distinct from simply assuming that these people have our interests in uh, in yeah. mind. Of course they do not. And so with my students, you know, I, I had some youth ministry majors and they said at the outset of the semester, if I'm not on Instagram, I can't connect to mm-hmm. teenagers. And I, and I said, okay, maybe that's true. Let's think about it. We spent the whole semester and I had a, and I had one student in particular who's, who realized I don't, I just assumed, mm-hmm. right? I assumed I needed the social media platform that is destroying teenagers lives. And I needed to somehow get on the inside but I can actually find ways to do it in real life, to do it in other ways. And that involves more of me. It demands more creativity and thought. Absolutely. But I can do it without contributing to the problem. That's the kind of thinking I want. Yeah. I, I'm not even wanting to know the answers in advance. I want to see ministers and future ministers think their way to the solutions rather than not think at all. Yeah. And that's one of the things I mean, I observe with just in my own life as I'm watching my, my kids growing up. Uh, and just seeing the way we do things in church. I mean, there are obvious efficiencies that come from digital technology, whether it's, you know, communication, especially in larger churches, you have big ministries. You know, one of the ways that our movement is uh, not unlike the broader evangelical movement, you know, you know, are we evangelical? Are we not? Well, it kind of depends. Um, you know, we've often been uh, willing to adopt new media to be able to share the gospel. So, you know, radio and TV, and we know that there are, you know, there are benefits for screens in the kind of neutral sense for just projecting, you know, things that we want people to see. But I think you're right in that, you know, if that leads to just unconscious, unthinking adoption of all screens, uh, then that causes us a lot of trouble. I mean, what I hear you saying is we need to be intentional and we need to be thoughtful and we need to talk about it. Like, not just assume that this is the way it is. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, sometimes the way I put it to my students is, if the answer can never be no, then you're not actually considering the mm-hmm. question, right? If the if the answer is always a yes, yeah. you don't have to ask mom and dad, yeah. right? <laughs> if the no is only ever theoretical, mm-hmm. there have to be technologies that the church, in her life as a community, and Christian families, uh, in their households, actually say no to. Yeah. If we never say no, who are we different then, mm-hmm. right? That's that's one way of putting it. Another is, yeah, you're right. We as a movement, but evangelicals in general for 200 years have been early adopters mm-hmm. to technology. And there's a kind of evangelistic zeal that's to be admired about that. Yep. I think the flip side is, uh, <clears throat> how do I want to put this? That can either express um, or foster a kind of deep naivete about mm-hmm. the powers and principalities of technology Absolutely. the ways in which the medium is the message and the medium actually forms the content mm-hmm. um i'll give you two quick examples of that one non-ministry one ministry neil postman has this great line about like what could be wrong with sesame street kids mm-hmm. are learning he says kids are not learning through sesame street or rather they are learning something they're learning they're learning that education should be as fun as sesame street mm-hmm. and then they go into school and they're like this is boring mm-hmm like reading Don Quixote is not like this, yeah. <laughs> you know, reading Homer is not like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's a useful reminder, mm-hmm. right? It's a useful thing to have in our minds that it's not always obvious. And the second is I, I we spend not just a day, but, but a series of days thinking of, uh, with my non-majors and my majors about streaming worship. Mm-hmm. That's an entirely, that's a huge conversation to have. Yeah. But one thing I've, I've, um, one way I've tried to explain to students that it is a question, it's not a given, is once you're using, for example, YouTube, YouTube has certain parameters. And not only has certain parameters, but when you are structuring worship, you begin to think, how will this work on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? YouTube is now determining how you structure the liturgy of God's people mm-hmm. rather than, well, if this doesn't work on YouTube, so be it, because we're going to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped yeah. or the way the church is always in her wisdom said we should worship god as a people in community and it starts it starts it starts to be a voice in your head Mm -hmm. oh well maybe we should change some things up for the people streaming online and those are small subtle but significant ways that we start changing what we do in real life Mm -hmm. irl as our students say uh, because we're thinking about how it'll work digitally yeah Okay, so one of the things I, I have appreciated about you is that uh, you're one of our faculty who has really been able to blend uh, a life of teaching and a life of scholarship. You've already written multiple books. Uh, thinking of technology, you've got another t- book about technology in the hopper that's a few years away. Um, but your next book is one that I think is going to be close to home for a lot of our people. It's, um, it's a book about the church. Can you just tell us about that? And uh, it's coming out, I think you said, in about nine months or so. Yeah, it or? should be yeah, early, early um, next next year, 2024. Okay. Um, and I can, I can speak of it. Partly in the past tense, it's written. It's it's headed to the the typesetters and printers. Uh, the editor great. has said yes to it. Um, yeah, it's in a series. It's a series I'd really recommend to listeners. It's it's by the the press Lexum, mm-hmm. and they have a series called Christian Essentials. Um, and there have been books on baptism, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the Bible, um, and mine is the Church. Okay. The way I so it's it's a small book, written for um, 
ordinary Christians. It's mm-hmm. not a scholarly book for scholars. Uh, it's not a book for pastors. It's a book for any Christian. Yep. Uh, I would assign it to our students. Okay. Um, it is a book that is trying, and you're right, this is deeply, deeply um, rooted in our movement. It's trying to show through, through Scripture, show readers, especially for whom this is not obvious, that in a way, the people of God is the point. <laughs> By which I do not mean that God is not the point. God is right. the center and source and end of all things. But rather that the will and work of God in this universe, in the story of Scripture, is to call and form a people for himself. Mm-hmm. And that every verse in the Bible is about God's chosen and beloved people, his body, his bride. As I as I write in the book, the the the, the beginning of the Bible in a manner of speaking, it's not Genesis 1, but Genesis 12. Mm. And from Genesis 12 to Revelation 22, there's one story. Yeah, It's the people of God. It is the children and family of Abraham. And chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis are prologue. Yeah. How do we get to the real... <laughs> yeah. How do we get to chapter 1? Yeah. Uh, how do we get to Abraham? I've heard people say, if you don't use a musical analogy, that's it's the prelude or yes. the overture. That's exactly right. And it Genesis is the overture. 12 is where it starts. Like, what's the background right the heavens and the earth Mm -hmm. (laughs) who came first though we don't really care that much right like the star of the show is abraham Mm -hmm. the star of the show is his son and that son's son and that son's 12 sons Mm -hmm. and the uh community that results um rooted in god's gracious promise when he just plucks abraham from the sands of the middle east and says uh you're it yeah. Uh, your progeny, your seed. That's that's what I'm going to do in this world till kingdom come. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Exactly. Which is just exactly. stunning. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> right, I mean what, what greater, you know, I'm not, I'm not an apologist. I don't do proofs like that. That's not my wheelhouse uh-huh. as a theologian or philosopher. But I try to get my students to think about like 4,000 years ago, there's a, there's a random childless guy old, <laughs> in, guy old guy in modern day iraq and god tells him your children will last forever they will be more than the stars in the sky mm-hmm. or the sand on the shore and every people on earth will be blessed in them and through them and through them they will come to worship me as the one god of the earth and look around yeah. It's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> every continent, nearly every language and culture and people group on earth worships the God of Abraham, has yeah. representatives mm-hmm. of their people, their tribe and tongue, who worship the God of Abraham. Like the prophecy, the miracle has already happened. God's already done it. And the name for God making good on that promise is the church. Yeah. As Paul says in Second Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes and amen mm-hmm. in him. And the people and and the and the Christian community, the church, is the the sort of vanguard where the nations join Israel mm-hmm. to worship the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's that's what I want readers to get in this book. That's great. That's making me look forward to it even more than when I first heard about it. Yeah. So and I'll say and I'll say well, great. one additional thing. That's native talk 
in a sense for kind of Church of Christers on the one hand mm-hmm. and also kind of like Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholics on the other. Mm. There's this big middle group, <laughs> Protestants, but in particular evangelicals, non-denom types, mm-hmm. low church type, Baptist types, for whom the centrality of God's people or the centrality of the church is not yep. self-evident. Yep. Because uh, it, it can work differently, but often the I call it I call it I call my students spiritual Descartes, mm. spirit theological Descartes. They imagine Christianity Christianity to be me alone in a dark room with God, mm-hmm. and I have a personal relationship with Him, possibly mediated by one book, the Bible, sitting on a table. Yeah, and I try to get them to see that's not Christianity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the story of Scripture. Yeah, you if you belong to Christ, if you have received His Word from Scripture, which I want you to do. Uh, you do so in and as a member of his people, yeah. as a member of Christ's body. Whose book is that? It's the church's book. Yeah. Uh, whose gospel is that? It's the apostles' gospel. What did they found? They founded the church, mm-hmm. et cetera, and so on. Makes me wonder, like, what, what would happen if all of a sudden we could shift the sinner's prayer in those groups to be, God, have mercy on us sinners yeah, and not, God, have mercy on me a sinner. Right. We'll make it right, but yeah, make it more the Jesus prayer rather yeah. than rather than the yeah. sinner's prayer. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've talked a little bit about books you're writing. You also uh, love to read. Um, when I walk by your window, there are books literally everywhere, stacked <laughs> up all over the place. Um, and so I've been the beneficiary of book recommendations from you in the past. Um, you have an audience here on this podcast. If I were to say. Uh, right now, it's May 2023, um, you get the chance to put a book or two into the hands of all of our listeners, folks who are in ministry and church leadership. Give us a book or two that you would you want our people to read. I'll give you two books that I have often assigned to students in a class I teach called Christianity and Culture. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not theology books. So okay. They're both written by Christians. Um, one from about, from about a, a decade ago and one from a couple years back. Um, they are, they're both effectively works of popular sociology and cultural critique or cultural commentary. One is called Bad Religion by Ross Douthat, Mm -hmm. and the other is called Strange Rights, R-I-T-E-S, Strange Rights by Tara Isabella Burton. Mm -hmm. And I basically think of uh, Burton's book as a sequel to Douthat's. Okay. (laughs) What both of them do, in my view, I recommend them to, I, I give them to my students and then I recommend them to church and church leaders and pastors whenever I can. I think they give you, they give the reader a clear sense of the changing landscape of American religion mm-hmm. and how we got where we are. Okay. Um, Douthat's book in particular from the 1960s um, and Burton's book, also uh, goes back farther in, in one sense, but also focuses especially on uh, since the advent of the internet. Okay. Um, and both, they, they can scare you a little bit, but I think they give you cl- a, clear, a clear-eyed and sober picture as a minister or church leader of where the culture is today, how it is profoundly different, uh, from the culture that boomers inherited or mm-hmm. gen, even Gen X inherited. Um, and therefore it gives you a sense of what uh, 15 to 45 year olds 
want, but not just what they want, because we don't give our people what they want, but also therefore what they need, mm-hmm. and therefore what church, how churches need to be responsive in real time um, through their preaching, their teaching, um, et cetera, and so on. Okay. I like it. Well, folks, get a hold of those. I don't think any royalties or affiliate uh, royalties <laughs> are coming, coming Brad's way, but... Uh, I trust his recommendations. Well, Brad, thank you so much for sitting down with me. It's always good to talk. And uh, I'm glad that this is something that can overflow to uh, our listeners and our cyber folks. Uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, what, what would be the best way for them to do that? Now, we've, we're talking about technology, so I'm assuming we're not going to say carrier pigeons. But uh, <laughs> as far as I know, you're, you're not on social media no. much. And so... No, I, de- I, I deleted my Facebook and Twitter accounts a few years back, so okay. you can't find me there. Okay. Two easiest ways. Uh, uh, I have a I have a website which is basically a one stop shop okay. um, where I have links to either things I've written online or to books. I have a blog that I write on pretty regularly. Um, I've been on other podcasts, that kind of thing. That's my name, bradeast.org. Okay, so pretty simple. Um, or feel free to email me if you want to get in, in touch. Um, Brad dot east at acu.edu those would be the two straightforward ways although i i will accept carrier pigeons very good very good uh well to our listeners thank you so much for being here with us don't forget you can always find uh, all of our cyber institute uh, podcast episodes at cyberinstitute.podbean.com or at your podcast platform of choice Uh, brad thanks again for being here and to our listeners thanks for listening in have a great day Thanks for listening today to Live from the Cyber Institute. We would love to connect with you on our social media channels, and you can always find all of our various resources at our website, cyberinstitute.org. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on your platform of choice, then share it with your friends. Until next time, may God bless you in all that you do.